Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Brieker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie, and I'm here with Dwayne. And today, we are very happy to have Dr. Manwala back again as a guest, as promised, to continue our discussion about integrity abuse disorders. And in the last interview, we found it so powerful, Dr. Manwala, to really be able to name Um, to have a name for this thing that we see so often in sex addiction and betrayal. And, um, and what we want to do today basically is move that discussion forward and take it a step further by actually looking specifically at what an integrity abuse disorder is. And I'm really excited that you're here to talk about it. So thank you again. Nice to be here again. Thank you for coming on. All right. So where do you want to start? Um, So, I think last time we had talked about this term integrity abuse disorder and just to remind people, you know, when we look at compulsive sexual behavior or sex addiction problems and the way they present, um, my model is really advocating for looking at these issues as a two-part problem. One part is the compulsive sexual behavior or sex addiction or whatever the problematic sexual behavior patterns are. And then the other part that needs more development and recognition is the integrity abuse disorder, which essentially is the clinically significant deficits in integrity and the patterns of psychological, emotional, and relational abuse. And last time we talked a lot about those patterns. These would be things like chronic patterns of lying or lying by omission, gaslighting, refusing to disclose information, possibly years of sexual rejection or denial or avoiding responsibility or twisting the truth. And all these patterns over time really shape a victim, the intimate partner, Um, And we call this kind of shaping complex trauma shaping. So these patterns of harm are what cause complex trauma in complex trauma symptoms in in victims. Um, So it shapes the victim's emotional health, impacts their thought system, over time will impact their self-esteem or self-worth, often will impact how they end up relating to other humans and how they relate to abuse itself and how they relate to the abuser. It progressively will impact the relationship and how they see life and how they see and react to the world. So um, these patterns of harm over time, and we're talking sometimes 20, 30 years, is a major description and symptom and process of what uh, integrity abuse disorders are all about. 
And so that's what we talked about last time. What I want to do to push the conversation forward is really understand this concept of DCSR, which is an acronym for Deceptive Compartmentalized Sexual or Relational Reality. And a simple way of saying this would be having a secret sexual world uh, while you're in a family system or an intimate partnership. And when there's an understanding and an implicit and explicit understanding and agreement and negotiation that there's not supposed to be a secret sexual reality. So that's what I'd like to talk about is this acronym DCSR, because once you have, once a person has a DCSR or a secret sexual world, they already have begun or initiated an integrity abuse disorder. They've already started to engage a form of abuse. And so that's how it connects to the term integrity abuse disorder. And so I really want to spend some time defining and understanding this concept of uh, DCSR. So Omar, I'm so excited to hear more about what you're going to say. And I don't want to take us off topic. Something that I think is very important that comes to me immediately is what would you say, you know, we're already talking about an integrity abuse disorder. And for addicts listening to this right now, right off the bat, I imagine that there could be some immediate defensiveness, maybe anger, you know, sort of the, the, the impulse to want to dismiss what you have to say, feeling ganged up upon, anything like that. And I just would like to hear you respond to that so that we're able to maybe allow people to listen to this and it from a different place and be more open because ultimately we, we're sharing about this because we believe it is a key to healing. Well, the first thing I'd say is everything I'm saying is coming from a place of compassion and understanding and support including for the abuser and the victim. So that would be one of the first things. And I think another thing I would bring up, and I think we've spent some time in the earlier podcast, so your viewers might want to go back to one of your earlier podcasts where we really talked about the word abuse. And sometimes I just encourage people at first to just substitute that if that's too threatening with the term harm. And more people can kind of get on board with the term harm. And so, and the other thing is when we talk about abuse, that it's not just physical, it's uh, can, abuse can also refer to emotional, psychological, and relational issues, not just physical violence. So these are some of the basics to think about. And then when we really talk about this particular type of abuse, we have to remember when it comes to emotional and psychological abuse, a lot of times, predominantly, research shows that that's not intentional. So it can still be and is still abusive, even if it's not intentional per se. So those are some basic uh, educational points to help people at least be more open when we're talking about the word abuse. Thank you. That's helpful. So I'd like to encourage everybody who's listening to take a nice deep breath and we will continue with this conversation. Great. So what is this term DCSR? I know it's complicated, <laughs> um, but I actually have spent a lot of time, years actually, really honing in on each letter here. And so each letter of this acronym is really helpful to understand a little bit more deeply. So if we can, I'd like to start this discussion with a metaphor. So 
sometimes metaphors can be really helpful. It's a visual. And if you can capture this visual, this picture in your mind, uh, it might help our discussion and understanding and learning. So if you picture a family home and there's a family living in it, they might have a pool, a yard, a fence. Maybe there's a few kids, two parents, cars, really nice uh, activity going on like a normal family. And that's what we're going to call the reality there. Then I want you to also visualize that one family member, let's say in this example, it's the husband, father, has built a secret basement. And in that basement, that father goes down and engages in some type of sexual or relational infidelity type behavior. And so you want to visualize this family home and then this secret basement underneath the home. And only the father or the husband uh, knows about this basement and he goes down there periodically and then he comes up and he's pretending the whole time that the basement doesn't exist and none of the other family members know that it exists. So that's the visual you want to have. And when we're talking about a DCSR, another simple way to understand it is the secret sexual basement, right? So any questions just about that metaphor? Because that's kind of, once you get that, then we can kind of go into our discussion. Well, even with that, that metaphor, the idea of all that secrecy right there is, it, it paints a very kind of uncomfortable picture. Like I imagine this family going about their day and this thing underneath that's there, but no one knows that's there except the one person. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're, you're starting to get the visual. And then as you get the visual, there's an emotional response of discomfort, some kind of, you know, right. this is feeling discomfort and not comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. As you're describing that, this does not feel comfortable. This does not feel safe or honest or yeah, there's an uncomfortable feeling with that metaphor thinking about it. I love the metaphor and, and it just immediately brings up how deceptive right. the whole thing is. And, you know, as we talked about before we started to record, the fact that this, you know, secret sexual basement exists in the first place is in itself damaging to to the relationship, to the household, to everybody. Correct. And it literally doesn't matter the frequency of the visits into the basement. It's still, as you guys are bringing up, just the fact that it exists and that it's in deception is already bringing up a sense of deception, dishonesty, uncomfortable feelings. And so I think it's exactly the point. Yeah, I'm thinking that if a partner came in for treatment with her husband and she was sharing with her therapist that she discovered the secret sexual basement, if he were to focus on the fact that he's only taken, you know, two visits to that basement in the past year, so what are you getting so upset about? I think that would be a huge miss because what the miss would be is is recognizing that just having that basement, just kind of creating that trap door that gives you access into that place without the rest of the family even knowing that it's there that is deceptive and abusive. Correct. Yep. So you guys are really dialing into the metaphor. And then as you're doing that, you're already bringing up terms that really relate to why this would be an integrity abuse disorder. Yeah, this makes great sense. Any more questions, Joe, though, just about the uh, 
the metaphor because I think that's a very powerful and important metaphor. And and people can be free to, you know, come up with other metaphors too. I mean, this is just one that might work, but any metaphor can work. Yeah. I don't have a question about it, but I do want to encourage our listeners to to do what you said or suggested earlier, which is to to really draw it out. Because when I did that, when you and I talked, it actually helped me really to see it. I drew a house, you know, with curtains and a chimney and a door and little trees. And then I drew this underground secret basement. And visually, it really helps to see and to conceptualize what we're talking about. Exactly. All right, let's move on to this acronym DCSR and why that's so important. We'll start with the C. So the acronym is DCSR. We'll start with the second letter there, C, which is compartmentalized. Now, uh, it's really important to understand that compartmentalization means separating something from the whole, which is actually neutral. It's not good or bad. It's not healthy or unhealthy. We all compartmentalize all the time in many, many different ways. For example, a surgeon may need to compartmentalize a lot of aspects of themselves and what might be going on or bothering them emotionally, whatever, in order to function and do surgery. So there needs to be some capacity for compartmentalization just to function in certain roles. Uh, A therapist compartmentalizes their personal life from their work. You know, we are very trained to create a compartmentalized space in which we don't share all of our personal stuff in the therapeutic space. So compartmentalization, separating things from the whole, is a neutral term, and we all do it. So that's really important. And I think sometimes a lot of people, because of DCSR and being victimized by it, confuse compartmentalization and misunderstand it as an unhealthy term. So any questions on the C or compartmentalization? I just think it's, it is important to mention the healthy component of, of having that skill set in your life that you do need pieces of that in ways that can be healthy. Exactly. And that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make is that compartmentalization just simply means separating from the whole and it's a neutral term. Right. And we do it all the time. So that's not the problem. Yeah, that's a great distinction. I think that's very helpful for people to hear because I I do think compartmentalization sometimes gets thrown thrown around so much when we talk about infidelity and sex addiction. And it can definitely start to have the a flavor of being a very negative thing. Exactly. All right. The next letter will go to the first letter, the D, which stands for deceptive. As soon as you have the D, now we have an abuse problem. Definitely. When you have deceptive compartmentalization, when you have the D and the C, now you have a harmful, abusive, lack of integrity issue going on. So it's the D that's really important here. It's the D that makes the C part of an abuse IAD issue. So once you are not being honest about how you've compartmentalized your life, then that is where the abuse begins to happen. Correct. It's the lack of honesty and it's really the deception. Once there's deception happening, 
the word deception is what actually makes it now an integrity abuse problem. So in a, in a, in a way, um, just to make sure I understand what you're saying, the person intentionally compartmentalizes their life in order to change someone else's reality of what they're seeing? Uh, no, let's maybe go to the basement metaphor. So the minute the person starts building the trap door in the floor and doesn't tell the family and intentionally starts keeping it a secret from the family, that's what now makes that compartment that they're starting to develop an abuse and integrity issue. Because if they start, you know, they're going to say, hey, honey, I'm going to remove this carpet and underneath I'm going to build a trap door and I'm going to go down there sometimes for sex and intimacy and stuff then we don't have a D. Right. And so right. we don't have an abuse or integrity problem at all. Right, right. This is fundamentally important because, you know, when people take marital vows or in, agree to an intimate, you know, exclusive relationship with one another, this deceptive piece in, intrinsically violates that vow. By definition, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's continue. Okay. So it's the D, that D word is really important because that's what pulls us into integrity abuse disorder. Now the S, DCS, so the third letter there, S, stands for sexual, and that would include relational dynamics that are part of deception. So patterns of infidelity, connecting with people, different types of intimacy, different types of sexuality. So the S stands for sexual and or relational. Relational meaning uh, forms of infidelity and deceptive relational or emotional dynamics with people. Now, people can have compartmentalized sexual uh, lives while they're in a relationship. So for example, you might have a couple where their masturbatory lives, for example, they have agreed that they don't need to tell each other every time they masturbate. That's a open, honest, integrity-based negotiation and understanding. There is no deception going on there, but there is some negotiated sexual compartmentalization of those aspects of their lives, for example. So it's really the fact that it's in deceptive and compartmentalized that makes the sexual behavior healthy or not. It's not necessarily the behavior itself. And then there can be things in the basement that are sexually problematic in and of themselves as well. But it doesn't have that deceptive component. Not if it's negotiated with honesty and integrity. That's right. Um, the other thing is you can have a deceptive compartmentalized financial life or reality. People can have deceptive compartmentalized basements that are not sexual or relational. What my work is about and what I've spent time studying and focusing on and really trying to understand is DCSRs, which are deceptive compartmentalized sexual realities. So my specialty is when the basement is about sexuality and infidelity and emotional connecting. But there can be certainly deceptive, compartmentalized financial realities or drug-using realities, and they can still have 
relationship to integrity abuse disorders and uh, harmful impacts on the family nonetheless. This type of basement, when it's sexual or relational, is highly charged because infidelity or sexuality is very different for people than a secret financial reality or a secret eating disorder reality. So it's going to impact the people in a different way, depending on what kind of deceptive compartmentalization is going on. You know, our sexuality is such a core part of who we are that this area, this domain can cut so deep when there's this deception. Exactly. It's a very, very core part of human life, one's sexuality and their intimate relational life, especially with their partner. Absolutely. All right. And then the last acronym, uh, the last uh, letter here is R. This is very important because what you really don't want to do is collapse the basement into just a set of behaviors. You want to keep it as a whole world down there. There's a whole world that the rest of the family doesn't know. And it's not just behaviors down there. There's other people, there's dialogue, there's time spent, there's the family member that's down there. Right. So that's going to be something that's really important is you can't just view the basement as a set of behaviors like, okay, that that whole basement is just going to collapse to porn or just be collapsed to strip clubs once in a while. Like, that's not the point. The point is there's a whole world down there that the rest of the family doesn't know. And there's also a person who built it that the family doesn't know. And whatever's going on with that husband, father down there, they don't know that person or what would motivate him to have built it. This is all going to be unknown and new and something they need to metabolize and process. So the R, the reason I chose R is to keep that as there's a sexual or relational reality here. And in the intention is to not have that be minimized or collapsed or reduced to just a set of sexual behaviors. And then you miss the whole point of it's a whole world that the victim didn't know or the family didn't know. And I think that puts it really in sharp relief because this metaphor of this basement, when you picture a basement, it has so much more complexity to it than a simple behavior. Like, well, I was just watching porn. Well, if you're in a basement, you're doing more than just watching porn. Even though you're watching porn, you got to go down to the basement. You've got to have space in the basement. It just makes it bigger than the behavior, which can be easy to dismiss. With that ease of dismissing it, you miss the impact that this has on the family system. Exactly. And that's a lot of the arguments that couples might have is, hey, I just did these things a few times and the partner's feeling like I'm processing the fact that there's a basement Right. And they're on different pages. And then there's a lot of tension, arguments, and fights, and disconnect that come just from not seeing the basement as a world, as a reality that she didn't know or that they didn't know. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it gets easy to just go to the behavior and dismiss the behavior, even for treating clinicians, to not 
see this huge relational impact that it has can be easy just to dismiss those behaviors and say, oh, it's just that behavior and focus on that and not see this basement. It's just so easy to do that, I guess. Correct. And then you got to also, in this metaphor, if a partner or a family member discovers just simply that under the carpet, there's a trap door, there's already an impact right there. And then to right. slowly understand that who, who built this and then to find out that someone in the family built it and didn't tell anybody is already a question mark, possibly creating some fear or at least curiosity. And then to find out what's down there is going to be a type of violation and wound and create a whole bunch of psychological uh, changes without even knowing yet what exactly is down there, just to know that there is a secret sexual basement actually underneath the house and that we've been living Uh, on top of it for years. Right. And that impact itself is so huge. That's the huge impact. Right. And so then to argue what behaviors and how frequent and to minimize that is missing the point. And I, I really think that that happens all too often, but that's because I think that there's a desire. Well, I think shame can play a part of this, just the the desire to want to avoid this. It's too painful. It's too much. And so it's much easier to minimize and look at the behaviors, right? As opposed to looking at this as a much bigger, much bigger concept. Exactly. And so that's why the R in DCSR is so important because it really helps to anchor us in the truth, which is there's a secret sexual basement. It's a whole world. It includes the husband, father who goes down there is unknown. So it's got to be way more than just uh, understanding that there's secret behaviors. There's also who's this parent? (laughs) I didn't know I had a secret sexual basement or who's this husband that I didn't know, like that in and of itself is the damage. Because there's a loss. There's a huge psychological loss of that original idea of father or husband. And now there has to be an integration of secret sexual basement into that. Yeah, this is, it's heavy stuff. And I think it's, I really do think that it shines a light on something that is such a missing piece. And if people are able to see this and conceptualize it, I really think it can ultimately just bring about so much more healing because if you don't see it, you don't know what to do to make it better. Exactly. I think just seeing it, naming it, starting to clinically metabolize it is potentially a very healing, helpful process of psychological integration and and maturation evolution, for sure. So what else is there to talk about with regards to the DCSR for our purposes today? Like, are there any other big things that you think need to be addressed and looked at? One more thing, this could be, we could spend a lot of time on this, but I really think it's important to at least name it, which is one of the specific symptoms of having a secret sexual basement. And that symptom is we have as human beings what neuroscience calls a second brain. Literally in our gut, in our, you know, in our stomach region, there's this enteric system that's you know, neuroscience calls the second brain. And that is in charge of detecting threats based on survival and then sending those messages to the primary brain Um, So the person can respond to those threats that they're detecting. So there's kind of our second brain is detecting threats to help us survive. 
And this is sometimes we refer to our gut instincts or intuition. There's a lot of research that needs to be done on this. However, when we look at our metaphor, immediately when there is a secret sexual basement, likely what's happening to the humans living on top of it is their second brain starts to detect that there's some kind of threat going on. They don't know what exactly it is. They might be feeling it. Some partners actually report a lot of detection going on. Sometimes they turn to their husband and ask, is there something going on? And that's where there's active gaslighting. So for example, if the partner notices that the carpets turn the other way and asks her husband, why is the carpet turned the other way? And he says he got it cleaned and he must have just put it back wrong instead of saying, oh, that's because I was in my secret sexual basement. That would be a form of active gaslighting. And what that does to the partner is immediately she's thrown into either trusting her partner or trusting her gut. And if she chooses to believe her partner, she's not believing her gut, which starts to erode her relationship with her gut instincts or her second brain. And if that keeps happening over time and he keeps gaslighting her and keeps defining reality for her, and that's she's going to progressively let go of using her gut instincts to survive and navigate in the world. And so that is extremely damaging to somebody to have an erosion of their second brain. And that's one of the damages of having a DCSR. And even when there's not active gaslighting, just detecting that there's a basement and not knowing what it is immediately throws an incongruence between the second brain and the reality that the primary brain is, in, is uh, experiencing. And that incongruence between the second brain and what it's detecting and the reality that the person thinks that they're living is already going to cause symptoms in a person and confusion and feeling like something's off but not being able to name it and then often blaming themselves or the relationship or other things to try to explain it um, and we can go on to a lot more symptoms there but i at least wanted to name that specific symptom and then if the person trusts their gut what erodes is their faith and trust in their partner and what their partner says so Either there's an erosion of the relationship and trust in their partner, or there's an erosion of their gut instincts and their second brain, which is extremely damaging. It's like a, eventually it's going to be like a frog in water that's getting hotter and they're not responding. And again, that's the reason why often when an addict puts all of the focus on the sexual behavior and how much recovery he has and all the meetings he's going to and that he's doing everything quote unquote right, which from that perspective may very much be true. They're really missing again, the huge damage that's been done to the partner that has nothing to do with the behaviors, but all about the damage to the second brain. Exactly. I mean, if we wanted to use this metaphor, you know, using this metaphor, we could even imagine that this secret sexual basement starts to develop fumes, toxic fumes that start to impact the family above, but nobody can really understand why they're getting sicker. There are partners who have physical medical symptoms, probably because of these 
signals that aren't being attended to and that are trying to express themselves in the body. There's a lot of partners that have gastrointestinal problems, gynecological problems, skin rashes, immune problems. And a lot of these symptoms, if you put them on a timeline and then you put a timeline of the sexual acting out going on or the activity going on in the secret sexual basement, a lot of times you'll see a real strong congruence and parallel between what's going on in the basement and the physical medical symptoms that the partner's having above in the house. And I've seen that so many times, I've really have a lot of theories about what's going on there. But I think that this idea that a lot of people say, you know, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. That's kind of the rationalization and a distortion that a lot of abusers use. And, you know, the new reality here is that what she doesn't know is hurting her. Absolutely. As you were talking, I was just thinking about how our gut knowing is so important and operates on such a subtle way that having this damage that it's like, how do you operate in life if that's not working? It, I mean, it impacts so many areas outside of just the relationship itself. Yeah, you're really taking away and eroding somebody's one of their most vital survival mechanisms. Right. And our gut is so subtle. You know, we get subtle cues. So it's not like obvious all the time. It's, it's, it's sometimes even hard to recognize when our gut is working for us. Exactly. I mean, it's so subtle anyways, like you're talking about. And then to have manipulation of that system, and especially if it's for years, uh, whether it's active gaslighting or not, you know, that's the cruelty and the abusive aspect of this is that unbeknownst to a lot of the abusers, they don't realize the extent and the specificity of the damage that's going on, that there's actually second brain damage going on. And I also wonder what comes to my mind, why this has not gotten a lot of attention. First off, I think it's it's hard to just look at this, it, you know, just looking at that and the damage is is gut-wrenching. But then the other side of it is that it is so subtle to see. And if you're not attuned to that, you can easily miss it. And it's also, it's also not inherently defined when you use a term like sex addiction or infidelity or betrayal. I mean, betrayal would probably be the closest one because it, it is talking about the betrayal of relationship. But when you're looking at sex addiction, that focuses, or, or infidelity, that focuses on the, the sexual or relational behavior. And so I think it's easy to go to, to focusing on the behavior and leaving this incredibly crucial component behind. And again, not intentionally. I think it's, I think it's quite easy to miss, especially when somebody would really not want to see it to begin with. Exactly. I think you guys are really just highlighting all the main points here of why this metaphor is so important. And it's a really helpful tool to start expanding our understanding of what's abusive here and where the lack of integrity lies. And it's much more than even just all these patterns of abuse, which are really important. And they too are part of the integrity abuse disorder, like the chronic patterns of lying and gaslighting and deception, but also the existence of a secret sexual basement without active behaviors is in itself an integrity abuse problem. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And this term DCSR, hopefully that is a term that can be clinically used because it really kind of helps anchor us in that complete, accurate, full understanding. Yeah. And I, you know, I encourage a lot of clinicians who work in this area to listen to these podcasts. And I think this one would be incredibly important because if you have, you know, a a very big audience out there listening and our audience is big um, and they're hearing this term and they go to their therapist and say, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the DCSR. um, And somebody doesn't even know what that means. um, Again, that can create some frustration, treatment frustration, or recovery frustration. And so I really do encourage therapists and clinicians to look at this as well and see if it fits for your clients. As I'm listening to this, and it's so overwhelming, I'm thinking about someone who might be listening to this podcast who has gone through this. And in this moment, what kind of support do they need? This would be hard information to hear. Yeah, I think that support and a safe place and an informed place to metabolize this type of information is really, really important. Safety is really important. A designated space and forum and place and permission to metabolize this. And then accurate information is also part of what's really important that people have accurate information, feel safe, and have a venue and a place and have permission to metabolize. And metabolize means processing, looking at it, not turning away, and slowly digesting and making meaning of and understanding and working through. Yeah. it's And it can be really hard. It can be hard to do that because this reality is painful. You know, this reality is all about recognizing how one's reality was manipulated. And I think that it's really traumatizing and painful to look at, and yet it's so incredibly important. So we are grateful to all of you listeners who are trusting us with your time, and we hope that we are continuing to provide you with the support and resources that are helping you heal. Absolutely. So Dr. Manwala, thank you again for coming on. I know this is not the last one. We've got one more episode that we're going to be recording that we'll be sharing with our listeners as well. And before we, before we sign off, anything else that's really important that you feel like you want to make sure to share? One more thing. In terms of this is being hard to look at, I just want to acknowledge that you know, for human beings with anything painful, our first line of response is to not metabolize and not want to deal. Right. So that's really normal. So if that's coming up for people, like that's really super normal. It takes a conscious, sometimes courageous effort to actually metabolize trauma, both for the victim and the abuser. So this is very difficult work and often is a choice. Often for the victim, there is no choice in metabolizing. Uh, often for the abuser, that is something that they have to actually turn around to look at if they have the courage to do so. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the people that attend our workshop actually are incredibly courageous. And we say that a lot during the course of each workshop that we facilitate because we do look at this stuff and it's not easy and it's not pretty and it's painful. It's really painful. But the benefit, you know, seeing people walk through it and then come out the other side and then say, oh my God, we're in a better place today because we didn't even, we've never even looked at that. 
you know, that, that was like something that was sitting in the dark and we didn't even, we didn't even know. So it is, it is courageous for people to look at this and we are here to continue to support you. And for anybody who would like more information about Dr. Manuela's work or read more about him or find him and contact him, you can do that by visiting the Institute for Sexual Health.com. Thank you, Omar, for coming on. Absolutely. And I, I look forward to talking to you guys about gender pathology and why DCSRs are so common and also why they're so hard to see as a form of domestic abuse. So let's talk about that next time. We certainly will. We're looking forward to it. Have a wonderful day and everybody else take care and we'll see you the next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Dwayne in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.